0: All right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. So good to be with you all this morning. Uh, My name is Alex. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, uh, I am on staff here at SOWER. Uh, I serve as the co-director of our college ministry, Christian Challenge. So so excited to be with you all this morning. Um, I'm really looking forward to getting into the Word together. If you would open up your Bibles to Mark 12, verses 41 through 44. That's the passage we'll be looking at this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, we have plenty uh, on the chairs around you, maybe row in front or behind. Uh, if you need one, ask someone. I'm sure someone can help you out. Uh, those Bibles are free for the taking. So if you don't have one and you need one, you want a Bible to read, uh, we want you to take it and read it and uh, study God's Word and get to know Him more. So as you're turning there, I want to open up this morning with a story. So uh, my sophomore year of high school, I I started playing baseball when I was young, and my sophomore year of high school, I'd, I made the varsity baseball team, but the issue was I was uh, very overmatched offensively. I was very overmatched as a hitter. I was not a good enough hitter to, uh, to really compete and to play well, and so um, oftentimes, my, my coach would ask me to sacrifice bunt, and so if you, if you guys aren't familiar with baseball, if you don't know what that means, uh, basically, it's where the hitter goes up. And instead of swinging, he takes his bat and just kind of like holds it out in front of him. And then as the pitcher throws the ball, then the, the objective is to d- kind of deaden the ball or just lightly tap the ball in front of the plate, kind of in the area where the pitcher or catcher are. And so the, the point of doing that, the point of sacrifice bunting, is to intentionally get yourself out in order for your teammates who are on base to advance. So you intentionally get yourself out to move your teammates up. And I promise you, there were plenty of times where I, I got up there in my youthfulness, in my excitement, and my arrogance, and my coach gives me the sign to sacrifice bunt. And I'm like, coach, gosh, man, coach, you're really giving me the sign to bunt right now? Like, coach, if I get up there and you let me swing, You let me swing from my heels as hard as I can. I promise you, I can hit the best single you've ever seen. Like, a hard single right back up the middle. It would be awesome, man. It would be so much better than a sacrifice bunt. And so I would be thinking that in my head. But through that that process and through that year especially, I had to learn that in baseball, sometimes what's best is to sacrifice. Sometimes what's best was for me to sacrifice to lay down my own preferences, my own desires, my own excitement in order to honor my coach and to help my teammates. And so this morning, as we talk today about sacrificial giving, that's our topic for this morning, being rooted in sacrificial giving, what's best for you personally is not always what's best according to God. And in fact, in the Christian life, what's most comfortable or easiest for you is almost never what God is most pleased by. It is actually better for us to sacrifice, to give of who we are and of what we have, even to the point of it costing us significantly. So let's turn our attention to the passage. I'm going to read it for us, and then we will pray together. So beginning in verse 41, this is speaking of Jesus. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny and he called his his disciples to him and said to them truly i say to you this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box for they all contributed out of their abundance but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had all she had to live on father we turn our attention to you and your word this morning and god in in my weakness in the weakness of your people god would you prove yourself to be strong and faithful would you shape your people using your word and your spirit and god would you pour out your grace upon us as we look to your word and desire to see our lives conformed to the image of your son. God, we pray that you would be with us in these things. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So just to provide some context for us as we, as we dive into this passage together from Mark 10, from Mark chapter 10 through Mark chapter 12, Jesus is repeatedly being put to the test by the Pharisees, by the scribes, by the chief priests, all the religious elite. Jesus is repeatedly being put to the test by them. And Mark 12, verse 10, tells us that they're trying to trap Jesus in his talk. And then verse 15 tells us that Jesus knows their hypocrisy. And so Jesus is answering to many questions, lots of pushback, and he does so, as he does so, he's teaching, he's teaching, He's correcting, he's even rebuking the scribes, the Pharisees. And all of this he's doing while trying to love and minister to his disciples. And so Jesus is going through his public ministry. In fact, here at the end of Mark 12, he's in the book of Mark, he's coming to the the conclusion of his public ministry. And that brings us to the end here, like I said, of chapter 12, where Jesus is now likely weary. He's been enduring all of those things, constantly being questioned, constantly pouring himself out, trying to teach and encourage the people around him, trying to correct their wrong perspectives of God. He's been ministering publicly day after day to hard-hearted people, and he's now come near the treasury here in this passage, a place where a public offering box is open for people to make offerings to God. And so in this passage specifically, we have four people or groups of people. The, the first is Jesus. The second is the people, as Mark writes in verse 41, which is primarily made up of, of rich people, at least as we understand it here in this text. The third is a widow. And the fourth is Jesus's disciples. So those are the, the four people or groups of people that we see present here in this passage. So let's look at those first three. We'll get to Jesus' disciples later. But let's look at those first three people or groups of people and uh, look back at verses 41 and 42. I'm going to reread them for us. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. So the first point here is that Jesus sees the gift given. Jesus sees the gift given. First for the the people, the people at large and even for the many wealthy people. Jesus is sitting quietly, paying attention to the people offering financial gifts to God and it seems outwardly to be a good thing for these rich people to be putting in large sums large amounts of money into the offering box and i'm sure there is there are some who were doing that in perhaps in a way that was that was pleasing to god with a, a right and pure heart but there are also likely many who were not many who were who were giving and if you would just put yourself in this setting and and envision this with me that this is a this is a physical offering in a public place where you know people aren't giving online like many of us do. People are coming to a public space and physically giving coin after coin after coin, dropping them into the offering box, and you're you're hearing the clink 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 every time. Okay, so this is a a very public thing. Uh, people would know who those who those. Um, people who are making the, the large offerings are, because they'd be up there either loudly dumping in a whole bunch of coins or dropping in one after one after one. They're up there for 10 minutes. You know, so this is a very, public, a very public thing that's important for us to, to recognize. And so perhaps some of those rich people were, were giving in a way that was pleasing to God, but it's also possible that many were doing so desiring to draw attention to themselves. That temptation would be even more present in a public setting like this. Giving to God in order to draw attention to themselves, desiring to receive the praise of man for their large gifts. And I would say that it is appropriate and good for those who are wealthy to be giving larger amounts than those who are not as wealthy. But as we'll see here as we, as we proceed further into the text... Uh, that is not actually the most important thing. The, the amount given is not actually the most important thing. So let's, let's proceed to verse 42 where we see a poor widow come onto the scene. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. The widow here is the primary person in focus in this passage. The main character here is the widow in this passage. And a widow in this time period would typically already be poor, vulnerable, dependent, because her husband was no longer alive and able to provide for her as she needed him to. And so unless a widow had other family, and particularly uh, sons or brothers, to care for her and to provide for for her, for her to rely on, she would be in extreme poverty, And so Mark writing and saying that this widow was poor is very significant because if he were to just say that this, that a widow came to make an offering, it would already be understood that it's very likely that she's very poor, but he uses that adjective that she is a poor widow and that's, it sounds redundant, right? Because Mark's audience would already know that that widow would almost assuredly be poor. But Mark's saying that this widow is is a poor widow is communicating that even compared to the average widow, even compared to what his audience would understand, the position of a widow, this woman was still poorer. She was still poorer than that. That she was not just poor, but miserably poor. And in the verses just before this passage, we won't spend too much time on this, but just just to point to it briefly, in verse 40, Jesus condemns the scribes, the religious part of the religious elite. He condemns them in part because of their greed displayed in devouring widows' houses. And so it's very possible that this widow specifically had her own house, unrightly seized by the religious elite and men who profess to be godly. And so in terms of social and economic standing, this widow is about as low as it gets. And proceeding on in verse 22, as we examine the, the offering that she made, what did she do? What did this poor widow do? Your translation may describe what the widow gave as two small copper coins. It may say two mites. Uh, or in the ancient Greek, it is two lepta. Or the singular form would be lepton, L-E-P-T-O-N, leptin. And that word in the ancient Greek, leptin, literally means a tiny thing. And so in the Old English, that word was translated mite, M-I-T-E, which comes from the word for a crumb or a very small morsel. So the point here is that this is a minuscule amount of money. And compared to the large sums given by many others, what would someone care about a a widow giving two mites? Yet Jesus still sees the gift that she gave. We see here an offering from this woman that would likely take great boldness. Again, putting yourself in this setting, in this situation, in the widow's shoes. Many people have just given large sums. Many rich people, who everyone knows is rich, and they're going to be, again, dumping in large amounts of coins or up there for a long time as they slowly drop in their coins. And she's following them. She's following after these many people who have given large sums already and likely many more people who will be doing so after her. And being a widow of such low social and economic standing, a person might expect her to be ashamed, to walk up to the offering box in a public setting and drop in two small copper coins that are worth next to nothing. And so a common person may consider her offering to be worthless, but that's not how our Lord sees it. Let's look at verses 43 and 44. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is amazing what Jesus is saying in verse 43. What he's saying here is, is yes, that that widow who gave two mites gave more than that rich person and that rich person and that person and that person and and this person. He He is saying that. That is part of it. But even more so, what he's saying is that the widow put in more, than all who were contributing, meaning that she gave more than all of them put together. So for every gift given, including each one of those large gifts given by the rich, take all of them, put them together, heap them up into this massive offering and this massive pile of coins. And the two mites that the widow gave are still more. How could Jesus say that? His statement doesn't make any sense from a worldly perspective. How could a widow, a poor widow, offering two mites, how could that be more? As the equivalent of hundreds upon hundreds, perhaps the equivalent of thousands upon thousands of mites are being given, how could Jesus say that those two small coins from the widow were still worth more? There's no way that Jesus could possibly say what he's saying in verse 43 if he didn't know the widow's life and her heart. Which brings us to our second point here, that Jesus knows the heart posture. Jesus knows the heart posture. In his humanity, Jesus sees the physical, but he is also God in the flesh and he knows the motives of people's hearts. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, God, as he's speaking to Samuel, says, For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so I want, I want you guys to envision yourself. You're, you're out for a walk. You're in a, a beautiful setting, uh, maybe a wooded area, maybe in the mountains. And you come alongside a, a running creek. And as you walk alongside that creek, you you hear the the water flowing. Maybe you hear some rock shifting around, and you look down into that creek, and it's flowing with cold fresh water. You see the water, but you can also see clearly see everything that's in it and beneath it. You see rocks. You see maybe some mud or dirt. You see maybe a few plants or fish. That is a helpful illustration to to get us to understand what, what it means when it says that the Lord looks upon our hearts, that he, he does see the flowing water. He does see the water. He's not blind to that, but he can see right through that to everything that is contained within that water, within that creek. He can see our heart and the state of our heart and what our posture is, the motivations of our heart. And so even going back to verse 41, other translations say that Jesus beheld how or observed how the people put money into the offering box. And so he was watching. He was watching and observing, but he was watching how, or observing how the people were giving. He was examining their hearts. In other words, with what motives they were giving. And this is incredibly significant. It's possible, if not likely, that the widow's gift was unnoticed by everyone except for Jesus. And then Jesus calls his disciples to himself and uses this moment to teach them. A person's actions tell us a great deal about their heart. And a case in point is the story of this woman, this widow. This widow gave in devotion to God. She gave unto the Lord. She displays where her ultimate hope and trust are found, and that's in God. We see the the overflow of this widow's heart in her actions. And her hope, her, her ultimate trust is not found in her money. It's not found in her circumstances. It's not found in the people around her. And it's not even found in herself. It's found in God. And so how could this widow do this? How could this widow give those two small coins when they were all that she had to live on? As verse 44 describes. Her heart must have been filled with joy in God. How else could someone do, do such a thing as this? And God loves when his people give with this gladness of heart that the, that the widow here is displaying. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give As he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So either this widow must be a fool or God must be her all in all. And we see that it's clearly the latter through Christ greatly commending her before his disciples. And even as we examine verse 44, That Jesus says, speaking of the people at large, that they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. What a beautiful and practical display of faith in God actively at work in a person. The third and final point here is that Jesus commends the sacrificial giver. Jesus commends the sacrificial giver. Here in verse 44, we see the reason why Jesus says what he says in verse 43. We see the reason why he counted the widow as giving more than all the other, all the other people. And it was because she gave sacrificially, while the others did not. And Jesus is pleased by the sacrifice of this widow. It's interesting here that, that Jesus' focus is on the widow here. He, he does not condemn the rich people who are giving large sums, as he had just condemned the, the scribes previously. But he does not commend the rich people giving large sums either. Rather, his focus is on the widow. And he commends the actions of the widow to his disciples, particularly because of her great sacrifice. amazing here to look at the the contrast between the widow's actions and those of others. We see the stark contrast between the widow's actions and the many rich people who are giving out of their abundance, as Jesus says in verse 44. That many, that they all contributed out of their abundance. But this widow, this woman, she out of her poverty puts in everything she had. All she had to live on. This woman's actions are also in stark contrast to the greed of the religious elite, the scribes, the Pharisees, and others. She has likely suffered because of their actions. Instead of being cared for by them as, as God would desire, widows in that time, or intended to be cared for, instead the religious elite, out of their greed and pride, have oppressed her and forced her to suffer. And so I said a few minutes ago that Jesus' statement in verse 43 seems not to make any sense from a worldly perspective. But here in verse 44, the actions of the widow are what don't make any sense from a worldly perspective. Because she already has a tiny amount that was at best sufficient to meet her basic needs for that one day. So how easy would it have been for this widow to see herself as being entirely dependent upon those two tiny coins. How easy would it have been for this widow to hold onto them so tightly that her knuckles turned white? Yet she displays with her actions that she is dependent upon God. Her hope, her trust, her confidence, she has placed them in God. She has not placed them in herself or in what her money can provide for her. She has placed her faith in God to provide for her. She has this joy in God that runs deep into her heart, and so much so that when faced with the decision between coming to God empty-handed or releasing everything she had to live on, she chooses to give all that she had to God in the worship of him. What an example of self-denial. What an incredible example of self-denial. This widow laying down her own comforts, her own desires, and even her own very basic needs in order to give sacrificially toward God. She understood that giving sacrificially to God is the privilege and the honor of God's people. It is our joy to give sacrificially to God, to give back to Him in worship of Him because He has blessed us and cared for us in such a gracious way. It is our joy to do that. It's not our obligation. And she understood that. And so how true is it that we ourselves if we are in Christ, if we have put true faith in him, we belong to God. And furthermore, everything we have belongs to God. This woman puts that truth into action, testifying to her belief in God, that all that she is and all that she has is by God's grace. It all belongs to him. And this widow's actions squash the object the objection of, I can't give much, so I may as well not give it all. Who has less than she did? And yet she gave it all in the worship of God. So Jesus sees what we give, but he is more concerned with the heart displayed and the sacrifice made. Jesus does see what we give. He does know what we give, the specific amount, the specific frequency, all of that. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He does see that. But he is more concerned with the heart displayed and the sacrifice made by the person making an offering to him. And so as we shift our attention here to application, here at Sower, we have many very, very generous people. And I would definitely consider our church to be a generous church. And I am, I am so thankful for how God has produced that in all of you. I'm so thankful for the generosity of, of all of you individually, in your personal lives, in your personal walk with Christ, in the people around you. But I'm also grateful for, for the collective generosity of this church. I'm confident that God is using it to advance his kingdom and to really make an eternal difference, not only here in Lincoln, Nebraska, but even far beyond that. I am so grateful to God for how he has produced that in in all of you. But I do want to put a question before us to consider. What would it look like in light of that, that reality, in light of that generosity, what would it look like for each of us to give generously, even to the point that it's a sacrifice. What would it look like if each of us did that? To give of ourselves and our resources in a way that is costly, in a way that brings some kind of inconvenience or negative consequence upon ourselves and our own lives. What would it look like for us to sacrifice in that way? Because everything we have belongs to God. All of it, everything we have belongs to Him. We should give sacrificially of ourselves, we should give sacrificially of our resources, primarily to God, but definitely also to others. I hope you see that from the text, and I hope that's clear. And even a very simple, practical way to do that is that God has has given us a command and an instruction as his people to tithe or to to give an offering of 10% of all of our earnings, of all of our resources. So if you're looking for a very simple, simple and practical way to apply this, I would very much encourage you to prayerfully consider what would it look like for me to sacrifice far beyond what God is asking of me? What would it look like for me to give and to sacrifice, and to do that with a pure heart for him and his glory, what would it look like for me to do that well beyond what God commands in his word? If we do this with a pure heart, not only will it be pleasing to Jesus, but he will commend us also. And church, what that we have given to God will not be heaped back onto us in return. We know that God loves to bless those who worship him with the things that he has entrusted to their care. And so we don't use that as our primary motivation. We don't give to God in order that we would be blessed back in return. We should give to God in worship of him, overflowing joy in our hearts, wanting to glorify him and see his kingdom advance. But we do still believe his word is true, that he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And so as we come to a close here, I want to shift our attention and remind us that the father himself has sacrificed his very best for his people for the whole world. He has sacrificed his very best in sending his own son to take on flesh, to live in our place and to die in our place. He has sacrificed his son and sent his son to bear the full penalty for our sin upon himself. What an amazing and great sacrifice that the father has given that Jesus has accomplished and that the Holy Spirit seals in those who have been saved. We look to God as an example of what the truest and greatest sacrifice looked like. And our hearts should over just be overwhelmed and overflow with gratitude and thanksgiving and worship of God in light of that truth. Jesus sees the gift given Jesus knows the heart posture and Jesus commends the sacrificial giver. Church, may we be disciples of Jesus Christ who give cheerfully and sacrificially to God and trust him to use it all for his glory. Let's pray. God, we worship you this morning. You are the one who has given sacrificially, beyond what we can understand. But God, we are so thankful for your sacrifice. Jesus, we're so thankful for what you have done for us. Would you help that? God, would you use that, that truth, that reality to shape our hearts? Would you, would you use your word and your spirit to shape the hearts of your people and to lead us forward in faithfulness to you? God, we trust you. We pray that you would be at work in and through us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.